Network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Russ Baker. Uh, he is the best-selling author of Family of Secrets, the Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Uh, and he's also editor and founder of the investigative news website, whowhatwhy.com. I should mention before we, uh, before we go further with Russ, uh, our sponsors for the second hour of today's show's, uh, show is Urastar, uh, Gold Corp and, uh, Liberty Silver Corp. Um, Mr. Baker uh, has received uh, Society of Professional Journalists, uh, Mencken and, uh, Mencken and Common Cause Awards. Uh, served as a panelist for the National Conference of Investigative Reporters and Editors, uh, and been a member of the adjunct facility, uh, faculty, I should say, at Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. He appears frequently in electronic media to discuss current events. He is the co-founder of Journalism Stories that uh, evolved into the company Media Bistro. In 2005, uh, Russ Baker founded a non-profit, non-partisan news organization dedicated to producing groundbreaking, transformative, independent investigative journalism at whowhatwhy.com. And he spends most of his time running that site, including editing and writing for it. Uh, and he does speaking uh, in engagements from time to time and is working on a new book. Uh, well, in any event, uh, welcome, Russ, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you very much. Really good to have you. I must say, and I have to tell our listeners, that I uh, was reading through uh, the book in preparation for our discussion today, and it was one of those uh, books that was very, very difficult to put down. Uh, it is, uh, I think, fascinating to anybody, anybody who cares about this country and what is really going on behind the scenes. Uh, it, it is just really, uh, really a must-read. I don't know um, of any book I've read other than possibly the creature from Jekyll Island that I would think is more important for people to read. So really happy to have you. I'd like to start out chapter one of the book, How Did Bush Happen, is what it's titled. Uh, and you quote President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, the real truth of the matter is, as you and I know, that a financial element uh, in the larger centers has owned the government ever since the days of Andrew Jackson, end of quote. And you also quote um, Abraham Lincoln, who said, history is not history unless it is the truth. So let's get to the truth of George W. Bush, um, who he is, and what he and his family, not just George W. Bush, our most recent Bush president, but the family and the connections that go, uh, the powers behind the throne, if you will. Um, this is, uh, you say in this book that in chapter one, you say this is a, the true story of a family we thought we knew and a country we have barely begun to comprehend. 
George Bush, father and son, are vastly more complicated and their doings are vastly more troubling than the conventional wisdom would have it. The book reveals the story behind their story, documenting the secrets that the house of Bush has long sought to obscure. The revelations about the Bushes lead, in turn, to an even more disturbing truth about the country itself. It's not just that such a clan could occupy the presidency or vice presidency for 20 of the past 28 years and remain essentially unknown. It is the method of stealth and manipulation that powered their rise uh, reflects a deeper ill, that is, the, America's, the American public's increasingly tenuous hold uh, upon themselves of its own democracy. Now, so you've done a huge amount of work, uh, Russ, in this book, and uh, you know you describe your, uh, your your investigation. I think you've, you mentioned you have gathered some 500 books on the topic of of the Bushes. Um, what prompted you to put so much uh, effort, such an enormous effort of time and energy, and my goodness, you've, it's just a huge amount of effort into writing this book. Why did you research the Bush family? and write this book. The real short capsule summary is that I was teaching journalism abroad to people uh, in the former Yugoslavia uh, how to investigate uh, wrongdoing and corruption in their own society, in their own government uh, at the time of the invasion of Iraq. And uh, as I encountered hostility from people there and everywhere, for being an American uh, because of the invasion, I realized that we Americans don't take enough responsibility, personal responsibility for what our country does, and that I needed to get back uh, to the United States and dig into what was going on. And so I returned in 2004. George W. Bush was running for re-election, even though we already knew that the reason the justification for the war in Iraq did not exist, a weapons of mass destruction. And I thought, yet yeah, this guy's on his way to re-election. We also have heard uh, allegations that he skipped out on the military during the Vietnam War himself. And I thought, how is it possible that after those two things, this man still is, is uh, e- either even or favored to win re-election? And so I thought, what is really going on here? In fact, it then struck me that I even wondered how someone such as himself could even become president in the first place, what, mm-hmm. what that said about our society. And so I just really sincerely began digging exploring, traveling the country, interviewing huge numbers of people, um, and asking them that question. And I quickly found that nobody had really looked into that. Nobody really understood who George Bush really was. Um, And then I discovered that to understand him and what he did and how he came to power, you had to study the family. You had to particularly focus on his father. And so as I studied the father, I quickly realized that I knew very little about him. And I would ask people, how did the father become president? And Mm -hmm. they they couldn't really answer. They'd say, well, he was vice president. And I'd say, well, why was he vice president? Well, he was CIA director. And then, is that normal that CIA directors become vice president? It's Mm -hmm. never happened before. Uh, And I said, well, why was he the CIA director? And people didn't know. And I said, you know, we don't know who these people are. Are. And, and by the way, I would say the same thing about a Romney or an Obama. We don't really know who they are. We really mm-hmm. don't know what makes them tick or what it is exactly that qualifies them or in the minds of those who provide so much money uh, and enable them to get to the top. And so that's really, Family of Secrets is really a dig uh, that goes way beyond the Bush family uh, into events over the last half century or more, including cataclysmic events like the death of John F. Kennedy, like the removal from power of Richard Nixon. And much to my astonishment, as I dug and dug and dug, I discovered secret after secret uh, about the Bushes, about the people behind them, about the patterns that result in certain people 
making it to the top, certain people staying there, certain people being uh, uh, precipitously removed, uh, and how all of these things uh, are have commonalities to them. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I know. Once I saw some statistics, and I don't remember what they what they are, but the Council of Foreign Relations seems to. Uh, filter through a lot of the people that become presidents or secretaries of state or uh, high levels of office uh, seem to filter through there. I don't know if that's something you've ever noticed. Yeah, or it, not. it's not one entity. The, the reality is this: is that there are all of these vetting mechanisms, and, mm-hmm. and it happens in every field. It happens in finance. It happens in journalism. It happens in academia. Is you must prove that you play ball. You must prove that you understand that the system as it is is going to be continued. And so whether you are a conservative or you are a liberal, you still adhere to certain uh, certitudes and certain assertions about the general health uh, of democracy and the viability of the system as it uh, currently is. And so, and so when you begin casting doubts, when you begin to, to, to ask why things seem to always end up the same way, why, uh, uh, uh you know, things have changed in this country where Barack Obama is actually, uh, ideologically and in terms of his issues very similar to, to say Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. uh, you say, well, where are we and what's going on in this country? And when you start doing that, you, you find yourself disinvited. And so, whether it's the CFR, which you mentioned, or the uh, uh, or the Brookings Institution, or the major universities, or the TV shows. And by the way, I would even include the uh, TV shows that people watch that they think are really alternative, you know, funny, you know, kind of mm-hmm. edgy shows. Mm-hmm. And even those are designed to be nothing more than sort of escape valves, so you can go home and watch and laugh at, at the, the mocking, uh, and then end up doing nothing at all about it. Right, it's uh, a little bit like the Brazilians have their soccer, or we have our our, our TV, I guess, uh, sporting events, or what have you, to keep our minds off of what's really going on. Well, I, I would contend that even the journalism itself, and even the sort of supposedly independent journalism, is largely co-opted. One of the things I do in Family of Secrets is I tell the backstory to the CIA's takeover of this country, and even the creation of the CIA. CIA was created by, in, in good part, by a guy named Robert Lovett, who was a business partner with Prescott Bush, the grandfather mm-hmm. of George W. Bush, and the investment banking firm of Brown Brothers Harriman, mm-hmm. a very powerful uh, and little-known private uh, investment banking firm that has provided top advisors to virtually every president of both parties throughout the 20, 20th century and into the 21st. Uh, it's, it's, it, you know, in the way that, say, Goldman Sachs, the House of Morgan, and so forth. And we don't understand much about those things. We don't really understand what these entities like the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, what are they actually? Who, who, who calls the tune? What do they actually do? It's, it's all, of course, done under, under cover of secrecy. We can't be told, and it's for our own good. Uh, and, and increasingly, as I've done this research, I've come to see that these institutions were designed by people who were not uh, particularly public-spirited, and they were designing these things in order to, 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 uh, to consolidate their own power and extend it into the future. They look and they say, we are of the very few. We have a tremendous amount. Others have very, very little. Uh, we've been able to keep what we have and expand it by essentially taking it from others, by paying them very little, uh, by grabbing natural resources uh, at a fraction of its worth and so on, mm-hmm. by using the might of the U.S. Uh, government and the tax dollars of the citizens to pay for these things. Uh, and, you know, we want to keep doing it, but we cannot put that to a vote of the people. Right. And so the whole system basically has to be rigged from top to bottom. 
It's it's fascinating. Well, you mentioned um, uh, resources at, at virtually nothing. I mean, we've had uh, John Perkins on this show, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. You, you may know of his work. Uh, and John maintains that our modus operandi in the post-World War II era was to indebt foreign countries so that uh, they would be beholden to us so our large corporations, our corporate interests, could could acquire those resources uh, uh, very cheaply. Does that sound... Yeah, well, well let, let me let me say this. I do know John's work, uh, and I know him. Um, Family of Secrets uh, is a very different kind of book, but I sure. think that uh, it, it points in the same direction, although it's quite, quite different in sure. the scope uh, and the, 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 that it's investigative reporting rather than a personal story. Um, it's all stuff that I found, not stuff I was involved with. But what, what strikes me is that if you go back, for example, to the Spanish-American War, uh, that was a, a simple grab uh, primarily to, to seize Cuba, uh, but also to seize the Philippines and the bargain. And when you look at the American colonial governors there, you know who they were? They were the, uh, the I believe it was the father of, um, of uh, General MacArthur. It was, the, uh, it was William Howard Taft. Mm-hmm. who later became a president. It was all of these people from the same families. The Bush family were friends with the Tafts back in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Douglas MacArthur was the, uh, Mrs. Douglas MacArthur was the next door neighbor of George H.W. and Barbara Bush when, when Bush was the UN, uh, ambassador. Um, do you even find, for example, Brown Brothers Harriman, you find there's a letter from Douglas MacArthur's mother to, uh, the Harrimans, uh, at the time when, uh, George Bush's, uh, maternal grandfather was running that bank asking if they could please uh, find a job uh, for Douglas. Um, so, you know, these continuities, who gets chosen to run what war, uh, what kind of priorities are taken, I mean, none of this is understood at all, and it's very much kind of an inside game. You're either in it and you benefit, or you're all the rest of us who don't have any idea what is going on and certainly don't benefit. Well, we're definitely seeing a uh, diminution of the middle class in America. We're seeing uh, a reallocation of wealth in a major way since the 1960s and the 1970s uh, towards that 1% that the, uh, uh, that the Occupy movement was, was talking about. Uh, it would certainly be um, all the rest of us except those that are fortunate enough or, I don't know, uh, close enough to the powers behind the throne, I guess. But would like to sort of understand a little bit more you said in your book, I think in, in the first chapter, you said, to my surprise, I began to see that understanding George Herbert Walker Bush, that is Poppy, the father of George W., was really the key to understanding the son, and not just in the simplistic psychoanalytic terms to which uh, some commentators have resorted, end of quote. And uh, So aside from the natural genetic connections, uh, can you explain how understanding the father helped you understand sure. the son? Right, so, so this explains why the first half of Family of Secrets is about the father. Uh, I was looking at the son, and I was, one thing I was looking at in 2004, I was assigned by some magazines to try to track down some things, including what really happened when, when George W. was supposed to be serving in the National Guard during Vietnam. And as I did that, I could clearly see that he had disappeared for some reason, and it appeared to be sanctioned at high levels. And his, I could see that his father must have been aware of this, and sort of uh, enabled the, this paperwork that, that emerged later to kind of clear him and yet really didn't appear to be real paperwork. Mm. So I became interested in the father. I thought, well, you know, who is the father? It also struck me 
that the son could never have been president if he wasn't uh, the namesake, both first mm-hmm. and last name, of, of a father who was already uh, mm-hmm. successful. And so I began looking at the father. I said, how did he get to the top? And the secret was to look at, he, he was CIA director in 1976 for a single year, and yet they named the CIA headquarters after him, not after Alan Dulles or any mm-hmm. of the others who served uh, Helms and so forth longer. Uh, and they, they seemed to think that he had done something heroic for the agency, and I wondered what that was. Well, 1976, the CIA was under scrutiny as never before. Various presidents, uh, uh, including Truman uh, and uh, Kennedy uh, and Nixon, had battled with the CIA uh, and had uh, felt that it was really uh, kind of out of control and dangerous. And uh, you see... Um, these these hearings finally happening, and they want to know what does the CIA know about assassinations abroad uh, and and at home. And so there were all these these sort of stunning revelations in the hearings of the Church Committee on yeah. Capitol Hill. And at that time, there they bring in of all the people this kind of genteel. Uh, you know, you think of primarily driving a golf cart, cart or riding a bike in Beijing, this George H.W. Bush, he doesn't yeah. supposedly know anything about the subject. They bring him in to run the place. And I thought, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. So I went back through all the archives, the newspapers and things from the period, and nobody bothered to ask, why would you put a person with no qualifications in charge of such a sensitive agency at such a sensitive moment? So as I dug, and, and family of secrets, I spent five years researching that. And, mm-hmm. and in the course of that, uh, I would, you know, I'd knock on a lot of doors and nothing would happen, and then suddenly one would open up and it would be right down a kind of a, a, a trap door, you know, into a whole new reality. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that actually he was qualified, and the reason was that he was, in fact, a lifelong covert intelligence officer, undercover as a congressman, as an oilman, and everything else that this agency, which is totally unaccountable, had basically moved one of its own people into the agency uh, undercover to, to protect it from Congress. Uh, and then once they had, they had passed through that and succeeded, they put him on the path to the White House. And so we don't know anything about these things. And so once I looked at that, I said, I want to know more about him. I ran across the fascinating assertion, uh, originally I think in Kitty Kelly's book, that George H.W. Bush had been asked and said he could not remember where he was when John F. Kennedy he was shot. And I was so intrigued by that uh, that I began to say, well, where was he? Where was yeah, we he all then? know where we were, uh, those of us who are old enough. Uh, I remember very vividly where I was. Uh, so how could somebody of that stature not realize where they were. Right, and he, he was about 40 years old, and in fact, uh, the shooting was in Dallas, Texas. Bush was a Texan, and Bush was actually running for the U.S. Senate at that very moment. Uh, and so it, it's highly improbable, and so I wanted to know where he was. And I studied that. That took me into the Kennedy assassination, a subject I had no opinion on. I didn't know much of anything about it. I, I knew it was a, a kind of a quagmire, and that most professional journalists, such as myself, stay away from that. But I, I became so interested, particularly in where was he and what did this have to do with the Kennedy assassination? And we, we don't have time to go into all of it, nor, nor should we, but A Family of Secrets has four chapters of all new information on the assassination of John F. Kennedy, particularly around that question, why will George H.W. Bush not say where he is? And once you go through that and you begin to understand that, in fact, the same people who are professional who planners and executors all over the world have the capability and the mindset to engineer those things anywhere and that they are particularly inclined to utilize their skills uh, where the stakes are the highest. 
It is also true that when the stakes are the highest, that, that psychological operations to prevent the public from understanding what's actually going on is also at a premium. And so what we see with the Bush family is that they are ensconced in this network of people who own uh, big magazines and newspapers and TV stations. Uh, Prescott Bush was on the board of CBS. And he was, uh, they, were, they were close friends of the people who owned the Washington Post. Uh, you see people from Reader's Digest and on and on and on. Even some of the so-called liberal magazines uh, turn out. Uh, congressional testimony revealed something called Operation Mockingbird, where they had flooded even the most liberal magazines with uh, perhaps thousands of uh, CIA-compensated individuals. That's so incredible. so we're, we're looking at a construct that is largely, uh, it's, it's almost like a fantasy. In other words, what, what we see and what we're told has very, very little on, on almost any level to do with what's really going on. And what you're saying can, really conforms uh, very well with Dennis Marker, who was talking about the 15 steps to corporate feudalism, being control of the media. I had no idea uh, that the Bushes, but uh, having control of the media, and, and this is one of the really interesting aspects, but I do, we, we only have a couple of minutes, this is incredible, we, uh, I mean, what there is in this book, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to buy this book, it's just absolutely fascinating, and it is so essential to understand what's really going on, we talk about the creature from Jekyll Island, very important on the financial side, but if you want to know what's going on in corporate America, Corporate, really global corporatism is what I call it. But here's one thing I want to bring out and have you talk about just briefly with the time we have left. And this, because the Kennedy assassination was such an important event in our lifetime, uh, the Warren Commission and uh, the uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren, who headed it up, didn't want to do it. Uh, and uh, you have a very interesting, uh, you, you talk about President Johnson essentially blackmailing him into taking the job. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, there, there's actually a uh, recorded conversation between Johnson and, um, I, want, I want to say, Senator Richard Russell, who served on the commission. And he says, how how did you get Warren to do it? Because he needed a brand name that people trusted, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, and Warren was a trusted brand. And so he, he, he laughed and he said, uh, I just reminded him about a little incident down in Mexico, and he started crying and said, I'll do it, I'll do it. Now, that has been interpreted by some people to supposedly be that he was saying that uh, uh, what they knew about Oswald, and that there, you know, supposedly that Oswald had Russian connections, and, and the whole convoluted story, which I don't buy. I mean, I think that they were blackmailing him. That's what it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, blackmail. By the way, somebody uh, very high up in Washington once asked me if I knew what the biggest industry in Washington was, and I said, "Well, lobbying." I guess he said, "Well, maybe," but uh, to me, the biggest industry in Washington is sexual blackmail. Huh. Interesting. So if you have. Something in your history, uh, it can be used uh, to get you to to behave differently. Well, just, just look at just look at who has been taken down. I mean, from Elliot Spitzer sure. uh, to 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 Weiner to Gary Hart uh, to all of these people, they were all people who were investigating or going after Wall Street, uh, were questioning the system. They were perceived. Uh, John Edwards was another one. All mm-hmm. talking about inequalities and uh, uh, ill distribution of wealth and who really runs things. And all of them were taken down. That's not to say they 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 weren't involved in, in dalliances and affairs and other things but sure. that, that people were able to find out about it and use that against them. Sure. Gary Hart comes to mind as another one. Uh, lots of examples. Uh, well, there's just so much in this book. I, I don't know. We are out of time, unfortunately. Um, Anything else? Uh, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know where to start. There's so much. Well, you know, the problem is that Family of Secrets is so dense uh, 
uh, somebody called it Robert Ludlum on steroids. But for example, I've got three chapters in Family of Secrets that have an entirely new explanation of Watergate, and 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 it's new to me. I mean, I always thought I always accepted the conventional one that Woodward and Bernstein were heroes and so forth. But when I began seeing the the pattern of of literally skull and bones people in the White House, CIA people in the White House undercover surrounding Nixon, giving him bad advice, uh, dispatching burglars without Nixon's permission, and then leaking the stuff to the media. I thought, these people are not Nixon's friends. These people are screwing him over, and there's something else going on here. And, and I, you know, I remember hearing that how Nixon had said that he didn't know anything about it, and you know what? He didn't. And, and, and the media, again, either whether they knew or they were complacent, they missed the whole story. And so we, we end up seeing that whether it's a Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter who's in office. If they think that they really are the president, they can do whatever they want. Uh, somebody steps up to remind them that they are sadly mistaken. That really, I think, is the theme of Family of Secrets, is that, is that, that we, the, the democracy in our country is extremely fragile at best, uh, and we need to educate ourselves in, in what's really going on, uh, because time is short uh, before there's uh, no chance to do anything about it. Well, I worry about that because if the media is basically controlled by this uh, narrow interest, we do have the we do have the internet yet. And well, well. By the way, that's why I started WhoWhatWhy.com. We are actually a nonprofit, 501c3 nonprofit, and we are entirely running it on donations from ordinary people, people who listen to your program. Mm-hmm. I hope I can make a pitch. If, if absolutely, if, if you absolutely. like what we do, go to WhoWhatWhy.com. At, dot com at the top where it says support or donate please click there please become a sustainer you can sign up for ten or twenty dollars a month or if you have really good financial fortune you know we do have people who give us sizable uh, you know four and five figure checks mm-hmm. we need that because we're trying to build a truth-telling news organization that is nonpartisan but goes fiercely uh, after what is really going on to empower us to control our own lives and really our world uh, uh, while there is a chance to still do that. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, it is really very important. Russ Baker, thank you so much. Family of Secrets, uh, you, can, you need to buy that book, not uh, at the website that was just mentioned, but uh, you can go to Barnes & Noble or any, any place else where you normally Online, buy books. Online, Amazon, uh, your independent local bookstore should be able to get it. Absolutely, absolutely. And it is a must-read, and I... I, uh, whether we have Russ back sometime in the future to talk, I, you can count on me talking about this book some more on this show because this is very, very important stuff. And, uh, I would urge our listeners to go to who, what, what is it? It's who, who what, what, why, who, dot what, com. why, dot com. Excellent. Thank you very much, Russ, for coming on. Uh, so much more, uh, to, uh, uh to talk about. We'll, uh, hopefully talk to you sometime in the near future. All the I best. I like that. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Arch Crawford, who will talk to us about uh, what he sees in the markets. Don't go away. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash. 
Creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, Insights. Call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. We were supposed to have Arch Crawford with us. Unfortunately, uh, something has gone awry here. He is not uh, uh, seemingly available, uh, but there's plenty of things to talk about, that's for sure. I uh, wished I'd have known this, so we'd have had uh, uh, Mr. Baker on a little longer with us. He uh, Certainly, the book uh, is just an amazing read. I uh, was reading it today, and it is one of those books that you just can't put down. If you're at all interested in current uh, American political history the last 50 years or so, uh, those of us who have lived through uh, the Kennedy assassination, uh, through uh, Nixon's period of um, uh, Watergate, uh, the Vietnam War, uh, all the things that have taken place since then, uh, in terms of understanding what's really going on, and that's what this show is really about as much as anything, is trying to understand what the real truth is as opposed to what the mainstream media is giving us. What the mainstream media is giving us is certainly, uh, is certainly uh, as, as Mr. Russell, uh, as Russ was just saying, is certainly just a, um, a really a figment of our imagination more than our, somebody's imagination. It's, it's certainly not the reality. And uh, his book, um, 
really digs into, uh, I think, and it is well documented, very well researched. It's not fantasy. It's not uh, shooting from the hip. It's uh, The Family of Secrets is really a book that he has gone, as he said, uh, researched three uh, three years, I believe he said, uh, has some 500 books on the Bush family, on the Bush uh, presidencies and uh, at home, and has spent countless hours and, and has gone across the country to uh, research and find out uh, what he what he can about the Bush uh, about the Bush family, and that has taken him then further into behind the scenes, uh, further uh, behind the throne where the power the real power is. I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask him I didn't get a chance was how he equates Richard Nixon to uh, to Mr. Obama. Interesting uh, interesting connection there. Interesting. Uh, e- equation, as he was suggesting, very much similar. The two men. Uh, certainly, we see Mr. Obama deciding who should be assassinated, who should be killed, without any sort of trial. Well, this is uh, the President of the United States deciding uh, on his own, with his uh, people close around him, who should be taken out without any kind of trial. Is really, I think, the stuff that from which uh, dictatorships are made. And uh, that's what we are dealing with right now. And if the President of the United States does that, then um, why why should we expect uh, uh, why should we expect liberty and freedom to be something in our future, if that's what we have already? And why should we expect them uh, if they can take life that easily? Then um, why wouldn't they just take our property? As uh, uh, as Alana Mercer has pointed out, uh, once you start to take property rights away from people, of course, then um, uh, you're threatening their very uh, liberty and uh, and life itself. Well, Arch Crawford, uh, not sure what's happened to him. He was going to be with us. Uh, I'll just take a look at Arch's new lo- newsletter, which just came out this morning. And Arch is talking about, uh, he says, the second of seven Ura- Uranus-Pluto square aspects comes uh, in on September 18th and 19th. Um, and he says, um, uh, one rests with the the importance of this uh, one rests with the fact that the Pluto that, Plu- that the Pluto is making the direct uh, station less than 25 hours prior to the square. Uh, in addition, uh, Mercury opposes Uranus and uh, square Pluto just after market uh, closes on the 20th. So Arch is looking at September 18th and 19th as being very important, um, and um, he's looking at September 25th and 26th as being a very important as well. I'm uh, just trying to talk to my uh to my um my call, call Archie again. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm trying to still trying to get a hold of Arch Crawford for an explanation uh of of what he's seeing in the, in Crawford's perspectives and what he's talking about. Um, he says our markets are continuing to produce more down days than up even against a rising trend. That means that someone is attempting to hold the market up uh, in the face of declining natural cycles. Well, certainly, as we see, uh, uh, and as we talk about from the Lowry Report, certainly the Lowry Report is talking about uh, increasingly weak internals in the market uh, and the very select number of stocks that are really, uh, that are really, um, uh, that are really participating in this rally. And we, if we look around at the equity markets, we can certainly, uh, or look around at the economy, we can certainly see weakness everywhere, whether you're talking about uh, Asia 
or whether you're talking about um, uh, or, or whether you're talking about Europe for sure, as we talked to Gene Epstein earlier about Europe. Archie uh, believes that we are in for some very very difficult times, uh, and he is also very bearish on the uh, on the oil markets. So I can tell you that in looking at the stocks that I cover, um, I I do think that there is some reason for optimism among the gold shares, among the gold stocks for sure, uh, as I look at, uh, at stocks that I, uh, that I cover in my newsletter. Um, just to open some of those up, and let me see if I can find my newsletter. Um, We, uh, we're looking at some of the favorite stocks that I have in my letter. Certainly, uh, we talk about Dynacor as being one of them because Dynacor uh, is in a very strong profit uh, uh, position. They're uh, earning uh, probably 15 to 20 cents uh, this year. That's what management is talking about, and management has always had, uh, actually has been uh, very quite bullish um, uh, but very, very subdued in their projections. They under-promise and over-deliver. That's been the pattern of the Dynacor, of uh, Dynacor's management. Um, and we are looking at another company that I like very much is uh, Eurostar, for sure. Uh, good management, strong, very strong management, and uh, very strong projects. Uh, if we look at uh, a company that I still think has enormous upside potential, uh, we're looking at GoldQuest, Mining, and this is a company that's come out with some incredible intersections. If I can just uh, go to some of those numbers now to uh, to give you a sense of uh, of the kind of intersections that they've drilled, uh, these are some of the best drill holes in the, in probably the last few years. Uh, if we look at uh, the kind of numbers that they've drilled, for example, uh, and this is in the Dominican Republic, and their project drill hole uh, number 90 was 231 meters, grading 2.4 grams of gold per ton uh, and 160.3 meters, grading 2.9 grams of gold per ton and 0.62% copper. Another hole uh, was 159 meters, grading 4.5 grams of gold per ton and 1% copper, and 24 meters, grading 7.5 grams per ton gold and 9 tenths uh, percent copper. And then drill hole 93, uh, 258 meters of 400, uh, 4.5 grams per ton and 1.3% copper. I mean, these are just unbelievably uh, scrumptious drill holes. And there's a hole and others as well that uh, some of them not quite that good, but these are numbers that uh, are just unprecedented, really. Um, and uh, so I think there's much to be uh, to be hopeful for on the gold share side. And, and indeed, as we're looking at now, uh, the model portfolio that I have in my newsletter is up about 8% this year. That's still lagging the, uh, the S&P 500, which was up uh, about 12%, 11.8 at the end of this last week. Uh, but the, uh, certainly the exploration stocks are coming along. Eurasian Minerals, uh, which is a company that's just now joined our show as a sponsor. Uh, Eurasian Minerals is a company that I really like. Uh, the project generator model, I think, is one of the best models that you can find. Uh, in this business, because uh, Eurasian, uh, because the main uh, the main risk that most companies face when they uh, in this business of exploration is that they have to continue to go back to the market to raise capital to drill more 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 drill holes, uh, and uh, the project generator model is one in which um, the project generator model is one uh, in which. Um, 
Oh, so we, I'm, uh, I'm just told now that we do have Arch Crawford with us. So just to finish the thought, the project generator model is the best model, to, uh, to I think, for this business because the companies do give up a percentage of interest in, uh, in the projects that they hold, but they have, uh, they're using other people's money to uh, drill some very expensive holes, uh, the most uh, high-risk, high-return aspect of the business, of the exploration business. And in Eurasian Minerals' case, they have some major companies that are uh, spending major amounts of money uh, to drill uh, into, uh, into some of those projects. And, and we're talking Newmont and companies of that stature. Uh, that are not looking for small deposits. I think it's just a matter of time with all of the different projects that Eurasian Minerals has uh, that they will more than likely find something of significance in the not-too-distant future. And the fact that they do have now a sizable amount of income coming in through their royalty interest through Bullion Monarch acquisition uh, also bodes very well. Uh, for the company. Well, indeed, Arch Crawford is with us, so uh, we just have a few minutes left. Let's uh, go to Arch. Welcome, Arch. Hi. Nice uh, to good to have you here. So, um, September, just talk to us about the significance. You put out your letter today, uh, Crawford Perspectives, uh, and um, you're talking about September 18th and 19th. Why is that important? Well, we have the second one of the Uranus-Pluto squares um, comes in on the 18th or 19th, depending on what coast you're on. Um, and the importance of this particular one, it's Uranus will be squaring Pluto while Pluto is stationing dead still in the sky relative to the position of the of the Earth. And I think that's going to be probably the one one of the more damaging of the seven that are going to happen before it's all over. We had the first one in uh, June and the second one now. And the uh, two a year for the next couple of years. There'll be seven in all. Okay, what is this? Uh, you t- when you talk about the Uranus-Pluto uh, square, what does that mean? It means they're directly opposite each other. Uh, no, they're exactly like a quarter moon, uh, mm-hmm. where it's it's uh, ninety degrees, or like the angle of a square. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I got you. All right. And, uh, okay, so what about September 25 and 26? That's also an important date. Well, uh, Mars and then Venus um, attack that square from different angles. And then the full moon on uh, Saturday, September 29th, activates the full force and power of this very difficult alignment, mm-hmm. igniting revolutionary actions around the entire globe at least as unsettling as the Arab Spring and far more concentrated in time. Uh, how much will cause geopolitical realignments and how much will be natural disaster related, uh, we can't guess at this time, but we urge you to complete hurricane-like preparations even in usually stable locations. Wow. Now, I'm living in New York City, so what does that mean? That means I need to go out and buy a bunch of food and water and uh, and have my uh my uh, backup electricity systems is that what you're telling me absolutely yes and uh, and uh, all right so but help me understand why this is so i mean or we don't know why we just know that statistically there is some problems that occur when these alignments take place that's correct and the uranus pluto is a long term thing it hasn't happened since the 30s and it tends to be associated uh, in time with major depressions and major wars. Mm. 
and so the 1930s being the last time it's occurred. Would there be any uh, any kind of well, the 1930s also is when we had a horrible um, drought in the U.S. Any connection with that? Do you think? Very very likely. Um, the, I think the drought is most clearly connected to the um, <clears throat> the sunspot activity which is we're approaching a high, which is expected around May of next year. Mm -hmm. And um, I have kept up with the output of the sun for years and years, and I have never seen the number of electrons run up to current levels. Um, They went over 10 to the third per cubic centimeter for one week during the crash in 1987, Hmm. and they did it again for three or four days at the low in late 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, it there, there were some few days that it occurred in I think 1993 or 2003. I forget which one. But um, this entire year they've been over 10 to the third per cubic centimeter, and I think that's what's making everybody uh, feel like. Something big is going to happen, and nobody knows what it is. Or, but it could be very, very dangerous. Archie, where do you get these uh, these measurements, um, electron measurements? Where do those come from? Well, they're on my website, straight out from the satellite at NOAA. Uh, NOAA, N-O-A-A, uh, is the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, and they have a site called, I think. Um, Space weather, uh-huh. where you can go and you can have that put on your website if you want to have it. Uh, Interesting. They and have a five-minute uh, output from electrons, protons, X-rays, and the Earth's magnetic field. Interesting. Uh, and that is at uh, CrawfordPerspectives.com, uh, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. That's where people can go. You also uh, seem to be somewhat bearish on the oil markets right now. Am I reading you right on that one? Well, we've uh, bounced back up to the 200-day moving average on the oil, and it's having trouble getting through it. If it gets uh, through, um, and on the daily chart, it's up in the middle of a um, triangle pattern, and the 200-day moving average is right in the middle of that triangle, too. So it needs to break significantly above par to uh, accentuate the positive trend, uh, otherwise, what we do technically is uh, short up against the moving average and buy if it goes through. So I'm 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 negative on it, but I, if it goes through, I would get long yeah. in a hurry. You have to change your mind on that one. Then, yeah, as we look at it, then today, uh, oil is down uh, 94 cents on the market. I'm looking at 95.53, uh, down almost one percent on the day. So it's certainly. Uh, is in a downward direction today. You mentioned um, you mentioned about horizons. You say uh, there are hori- there are on the horizons, uh, and that horizon is rushing towards us like a freight train. There is no more time to make preparations. The events horizon will meet equivalents uh, in a matter of days. So we're talking here. We just entered September. The dates you're talking about here are mid-September, right? And September has traditionally been. Uh, the worst month for the market, I think, um, not every year, but certainly more more on, than any on other. On average, month. it's the worst month with October making a close second. A close second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I did a study once uh, where I took all of the worst 
down percentage days from 1928 and scattered them around the calendar. And mm-hmm. um, two-thirds of the down, biggest down days occurred in one-third of the year, one-third of the calendar year, mm-hmm. centered on the fall equinox, mm-hmm. which oh. is currently running September 21st or 22nd. Yeah, so it's uh, for something about that fall equinox that seems to be particularly dangerous, I guess. Well, most, um, most markets uh, are in the northern hemisphere, and you have the fall equinox is the period of the most rapid change from light to dark and from hot to cold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that affects people. Uh, it certainly does. I can I know people who are very much affected by the darkness and get very depressed in the winter and uh, uh, and uh, much more lighthearted when times are uh, during the, the sunnier summer. Well, Arch, that's uh, just about all the time we have. I'm, I'm sorry we missed you the first part of this segment. Uh, there's always so much to talk to you about. There's uh, You talk about CO2 emissions and how they've come down, the emissions have come down. There's just lots of uh, things to uh, to read about in uh, Crawford Perspectives. Uh, and uh, so people should really go to that website. Again, it is what, Arch, tell our listeners once more. CrawfordPerspectives.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you, uh, Arch, for being with us, folks. Uh, that's all the time we have this week. Uh, thank you for listening. We uh, want to tell you that next week our uh, special guest will be John Perkins, who wrote the book Confessions of an Economic Hitman. However, uh, he's going to look to talk about another book called Hoodwinked. I think what John Perkins has to say will uh, dovetail very well with what our, our main guest had to say this week. Uh, so we look forward to having you back next week. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, um, for, and Justin Jackman for making the show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.